The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome to week two of After God's Heart. Uh, man, we, we did have an awesome week uh, last week here at Coastal. Uh, big uh, tailgating party as we kicked off this series and uh, had a lot of fun. Really appreciate everybody who went above and beyond uh, for all the tailgating outside. Uh, hey, do me a favor, if you will, go ahead and pull back out uh, your Connect card. And uh, there is one thing that I want to kind of highlight on that this morning, and that is that next Sunday, uh, immediately after uh, the second service, we have our newcomers uh, reception. And uh, that's for anybody who's new to Coastal, haven't been to a newcomer's reception, you know, since uh, you've been coming kind of since then. And uh, it's, it's a kind of a great, easy next step for people. Uh, maybe you've been coming just for a little bit and you'd like to learn just a little bit more about our church, maybe meet our staff, hear a little bit about our story. And that's uh, a great way to kind of uh, begin the process of learning about Coastal, plugging in, learning about next steps. Uh, we provide childcare, we uh, give you some pizza, and uh, it's really only about 30 minutes of your time. Uh, but it's a great little um, next step for people to take. And you can check on the back of your Connect card, uh, next steps, you can check that box and uh, we'll sign you up for our newcomers uh, reception. We'll send you some information uh, this week about that. Uh, ever, uh, you know, even if you don't know anything uh, about the Bible, uh, even if you've never been to church before, I guarantee you that everybody in this room uh, knows the phrase David versus Goliath. I mean, anytime we hear that phrase, uh, we know exactly what it, what it means. It's referring to typically an underdog versus a what? A giant, right, right, an underdog versus a giant. And uh, that's why I think so many people love the story of David and Goliath. We love rooting for the underdog, right? At, at least if it's, um, you know, not playing your team, right, or somebody you're rooting for. Uh, but we love it when the, when the underdog, you know, wins the game in the, in the closing minutes or, you know, uh, the underdog hits the winning shot and wins everything, has their moment in the spotlight. You know, whether that's uh, Rocky, you know, beating uh, Apollo Creed or uh, Rudy finally getting to play for Notre Dame or the USA hockey team, you know, defeating the, the, the terror Russians or, or the Citadel Bulldogs beating the South Carolina Gamecocks in football. Uh, I don't know why I mentioned that one, but anyway, I really loved that one. That was cool. Um, but, but why? You know, why do we love, and man, there were some underdog wins yesterday, right? There were. That's why we love college football. Uh, but why do we like that? I, I think it's because in, in some way uh, we can relate. I think it's because so often we kind of feel like an underdog. You know, in our own story, we feel like an underdog facing an unbeatable, you know, insurmountable giant. In fact, write that down. I want you to write down the definition of a giant this morning as we talk about the heart of a giant killer. Uh, on your outline, a giant is simply any ins uh, seemingly insurmountable obstacle that keeps you from experiencing God's best. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that up just for a moment so you can write that down. Uh, I'll repeat it. it it's, a giant is simply uh, any ins seemingly insurmountable obstacle that keeps you from experiencing God's best. And I, I do believe, you know, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to have life. But there are things that, you know, obstacles and problems and storms and, and giants that get in the way. So ask yourself this question as we begin this morning. What, what obstacles are you facing today? You know, what giants are there in your life that are keeping you from experiencing that full, abundant life that, that Christ said he came to bring? Uh, it might be worry, 
It might be fear, it might be depression, it might be financial debt, uh, it might be your job, uh, it might be an obstacle in your marriage. Uh, your, uh, your giant might have a name, you know, like your boss or the person sitting next to you this morning. Um, that might be your obstacle, your giant. Uh, but David was known as a giant killer. That's how we know him. Again, even if you've never been to church before, I believe that you and I can be giant killers as well. In fact, I really do believe that you can walk out of here today in victory over whatever obstacle it is that you're facing, just like David. So I want you to follow along as we read this story together. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Saul countered by gathering his troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. So you got to think like, uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal on steroids or something, okay? Um, he wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leggings and he slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. An armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a huge shield. Goliath stood and shouted across to the Israelites, do you need a whole army to settle this? Choose someone to fight for you and I will represent the Philistines. We will settle this dispute in single combat. If your man is able to kill me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight with me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now, stop right there for a second. What, what is going on here with the Philistines, what they're doing is not uncommon in this day. Uh, rather than putting their whole army into battle, the Philistines were going to choose one champion to go out and to taunt and challenge the other army to see if they would send out a, a champion, and then these guys would go at it, you know, mano e mano, okay? Wouldn't that be cool if we did that today, you know, like the North Koreans, you know, say, we just forget all this nuclear stuff, let's just send out a champion, right, you know? But, uh, but that's what they did, they would represent their army. And so whichever side won, then the losing side would either have to retreat or surrender. So at this time in the story, uh, young David, remember last week David was uh, anointed as the next king of Israel, but he's not yet been installed as the king of Israel. So David's not even in the picture yet. And again, we don't know if it was because, you know, he's, he's still considered small, uh, the youngest in the family. But whatever the reason, the dad, again, uh, didn't even allow David to go to battle. Okay, definitely didn't allow him to the front lines of the battle. Only his brothers were there. But after a while, uh, David's dad basically said, hey, you know what? I think we ought to go check on the boys. You see how they're doing. So David, why don't you go uh, to the battlefront and uh, carry some lunch to them and then you bring me back a report. So again, I mean, here's David. Remember, he is still just overlooked by everybody. You know, here's this teenager basically carrying a lunch bucket, uh, moving out to the battlefront. 
And as he does that, uh, he hears Goliath taunting, cursing the God of Israel. And David can't believe this. I mean, he's going, listen, why isn't somebody doing something about this? How dare, you know, we allow this, you know, this pagan to, to taunt and to uh, curse our God. In fact, in verse 26, David asked this question. He said, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Now, you can kind of uh, picture that as David is making his way to the battlefront and, he, and he's saying this and he's one, run, wondering out loud what's going on, that basically everybody else around him is going, shh, be quiet. <laughs> you know, David, what are you doing? He might hear you, okay? Now, even David's oldest brother, Eliab, remember him? He was the one last week uh, when uh, Samuel went to Jesse's house to appoint the king. The oldest brother, the oldest son comes out, Eliab, and Samuel just assumes by the way he looks, by his appearance, that he must be the next king. But we find out he's not. But Eliab gets angry when he hears David, you know, asking all these questions. And he and basically says, what are you doing here anyway? You know, you're, you're just a runt. You know, you just came to see the battle. You're an ambulance chaser. That's basically what Eliab tells David. So, David's anger eventually reaches Saul, King Saul. And uh, so David says to Saul, you know what? I'll go out and fight that guy. You know, I'm not afraid. You know, when I was a shepherd and uh, a lion came, I killed the lion. And when a bear came, I killed the bear. So if I can kill a lion and a bear, I can kill this idiot. You know, I'm, I'm your man. And uh, Saul basically goes, okay, whatever, you know, we'll give you a shot, okay? Verses 38 through 40. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested. I'm not used to them. So he took them off again. Now again, remember, what do we know about David? He's small. And uh, so and we, what do we know about Saul, right? He's head and shoulders above everyone. So, you know, in the suit sizes, you know, uh, uh, Saul would be like a 52 long. And uh, David would be like a 38 small or regular. Uh, so Saul's armor is way, way too big. It goes on. He picked up, instead, he picks up five smooth stones, from a stream, and he put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across to face Goliath. Now, kind of a little interesting side note here. Some people wonder, well, you know, why did he take five stones? You know, is that, does that show a lack of faith, you know, on David's part, you know, that he wasn't gonna, couldn't, you know, do the job, you know, he thought he'd miss, you know, four times? Well, actually, some theologians believe that according to 2 Samuel 21, that Goliath had four brothers. You know, maybe David's just super confident. I'm not just gonna knock this one giant off. If I have to, I'll take out all his brothers, okay? So look at verse 41. This gets really interesting. Goliath walks out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. 
Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Uh, David shouted in reply, you come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. By the way, this sounds a lot like the uh, Conor McGregor, Floyd May Mayweather smack talk tour, doesn't it? I mean, they're just going back and forth. You kind of picture that going on. But, but, but the reality is it's not bragging if, if it's a fact. It's not bragging if it comes straight from God. And so David wasn't making idle, empty threats. He believed it. It was the truth. Verses 48 through 51. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it from his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The, the stone sank in and David and, and Goliath stumbled and fell face downward to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine giant with only a stone and a sling. And get this, and since he had no sword, he ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and David used it to kill the giant and cut off his head. Woo! So that, that, that was my, again, when my son Christopher, when he was a toddler, that was like his favorite part of the whole story, right? We would act it out, the whole thing. Listen, how, how does that apply to you and me today? How in the world can you and I become courageous? You know, the truth is, here's the reality, guys. All of us are gonna be on a battlefield. Every one of us face an enemy. In fact, the Bible says that the enemy, you know, roars around like a lion, prowls around like a lion. Jesus said he came to steal, kill, and destroy. We're all going to face an enemy. We're facing an enemy. So it's in those moments, it's in those moments that are the defining moments of our lives. You know, am I gonna stand? Am I gonna fall? Will we advance? Will we retreat? You know, in, in those moments of decision, you really see who you are, who you truly are, who you believe in, and who you're becoming. Now, some of you, feel like the Israelites. You feel like you've been in a battle for a long time and the Israelites could relate to that. The Bible says, in fact, that every single day for 40 days, Goliath would wake up early, he would walk down to that valley, he would stare up at the rocks behind which the, the, the children of Israel, the, army, the armies are hiding, and he would taunt them. He would curse them. He would challenge them. He would call them out. He would curse their God every day, all day, day after day, hour after hour, just beating them down, verbally wearing them down. And they just stayed back there. And they hid. And by the time David gets on the scene, you know, it's, it's time for somebody to do something. Well, that time might have come for you today. You know, your enemy, your obstacle, your difficulty, your storm that you've been facing, it's been there for a while, challenging you. It feels like taunting you, you know, day after day after day. And for whatever reason, 
You've chosen not to engage. You've chosen not to march forward. You've chosen not to grow, not to confront that problem, that issue. But maybe the time has come for you today to do something. You see, enemies gotta be faced if they're gonna be defeated. There's not gonna be any victory in your life over whatever it is you're going through without a battle, without a fight. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about the heart of a giant killer. What does it take? Number one, it does take preparation. It takes preparation. You know, think about it. I don't think David was really ready, you know, to face Goliath years earlier. This was definitely a process. He had to be prepared for this battle. And the Bible, in fact, talks a little bit about his preparation. 1 Samuel 17, verse 15 says that, but David went back and forth between working for Saul and, stop right there for a second. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, he's working for the very guy who God's had, you know, fed up with and he's replacing and he's out of control. But talk about the humility that has to be there for him just to, you know, kind of work for somebody that, that's not, you know, a godly person that God wants to replace, but that's what he does. And it says, helping his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. Now, being a shepherd's a pretty small beginning for a giant killer. But giant killers don't start out as giant killers. And again, remember, David was disregarded by his brothers, overlooked by his dad, his entire family, and he basically he's got a handful of sheep over which he has responsibility. At best estimate, he's a small-time shepherd. And let me tell you something. I don't know a lot about being a shepherd, but I know this. That's a thankless job. You know, the sheep don't applaud the shepherd, you know? They don't stroke the back of the shepherd, you know, stroke the ego of the shepherd when, when the shepherd does their job. You know, when the shepherd is just diligent, shows up on time and, and does his task when nobody else is around. But David used the lonely places of life when no one was looking as a schoolroom for God to teach him and prepare him. I mean, David could have wasted all this time. He could have just lived his life as a shepherd in mediocrity. You know, his motto could have been, I see lion, I run. Okay, you know, nobody's watching. You know, if he takes out one of the sheep, big deal. You know, who's gonna know if he shows up early and does his job and does it well? But who you are and what you accomplish in life and then the obstacles that you overcome, listen to me, it is measured in great part by what you do when no one else but is looking but God. You know, giant killers are faithful in the lonely places and in the little things. Giant killers are faithful in the lonely places and in the little things. Let me ask you something. You want to be ready for battle? You want to be ready to overcome the obstacles in your life, to defeat the giants in your life? Then you've got to be faithful in the little things when nobody else is looking. You know, we all want to hit the winning shot in the big game. Listen, you want to hit the winning shot in the big, big game? Then you better be faithful shooting like 100 free throws every, every night before you go to bed, all alone, all summer, when no one else is looking. But we don't want that part. You know, you got to be faithful in the internship when you get paid jack squat and no one's patting you on the back. You know, you got to be faithful as you, you know, work, you know, you want what your parents have now, but you're not willing to put in the time and the effort when no one's looking and no one's there. In the lonely places, in the little things. Be faithful in the little challenges along the way when nobody sees and nobody else, is, nobody else knows. And then, when you pass those tests, you're ready for the bigger challenges. You're ready for the bigger obstacles. Number two, it takes perspective. 
perspective. I think giant killers see what other people can't see. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith, listen to this, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain, certain of what we do not see. Man, that was David. Listen, he was able to see and believe in a victory over over Goliath. Nobody else could. Nobody else had that vision. Nobody else had that faith. But he could. Why? Because he could see, he understood that God is bigger God is bigger than the obstacle. God is bigger than the problem. You see, the question on the hearts and minds of the Israelite shoulders uh, uh, was, you know, soldiers, how big is this giant? Listen, that was the wrong question. That was the wrong focus, the wrong perspective. The right question is, when you're facing an enemy, when you're facing a giant, an obstacle is, how big is God? How big is my God? But, you know, we don't do that. You and I tend to focus on the obstacle, on the enemy, on the, on the giant, because they're easy to see. They're obvious for everyone to see. You can see your problem. You can name your obstacle, cancer, broken relationship, financial debt, overweight, sin in my life, and it gets so big, and you focus on that, and you obsess on that because the enemy is easy to see. But the question is not, Can you see the enemy? But can you see God? Can you see him? You know, it's important that you can see the ever-present, the ever-loving, the all-powerful, the almighty God when you're facing that obstacle, when you're going through that storm. Which leads us to the third characteristic of a heart, the heart of a giant killer. Number three, power power. Giant killers depend on God's power, not their own, and definitely not somebody else's. But typically, when we face problems in our lives, we always assume that God can't use us. You know, we come up against an obstacle. We come up against something that we're afraid of, that we're worrying about. We just assume, well, God can't use me, and he can't use me and my weaknesses to defeat that enemy that come up against that obstacle or that worry. But listen, that's when God is at his best. That is when God is made most powerful. Listen, when Saul finally agreed, you know, to let David go and fight Goliath, what did he do? He wanted to put uh, his own armor on David. I mean, I mean, in his mind, there is no way that David is going to be able to defeat this nine feet, nine foot tall giant of a man, Goliath, without some extra help. You know, he, he was going to need his weaponry. He was going to need his armor. But frustrated with how silly he must have looked and how awkward it must have felt, David said, listen, I can't use this. You know, they're not mine. I'm not, I'm not used to them. And he took off everything that he had and he picked up five, five rocks, five smooth stones. The lesson for you and me there is that God will use whatever it is you have. God will use what you have. You know, isn't it true, again, for us that when we face an obstacle, when we face a worry or a problem or something we think is big in our life, we'll just say, well, you know, God, if I had something else, then I'd be able to get through this. You know, if I had a better job, you know, then I'd be able to get through this. If I had, you know, a different set of, you know, family members, you know, if I had a different wife or a different husband, or if I had more money, if, I, if the situation was different, instead of saying, 
you know, instead of saying, here's what I don't have, God chooses to use what we already have to display his power. That's always been his way. Listen, when God called Moses to be the leader of his people, Moses stood before God and talked about what he didn't have. God, you know, I don't have, you know, any speaking ability. You know, I stutter when I talk. And God basically said, Moses, don't tell me what you don't have. What do you have? And Moses goes, well, I got a stick. A stick. And God said, guess what? I'll use the stick. And then all throughout that story, you see how God used that stick in a powerful way. In the New Testament, Jesus is with a crowd of hungry people. And it it was late in the day, he was teaching, and uh, everybody's getting hungry, and the disciples are freaking out, you know, they're all worrying, and they they go to Jesus, like, Jesus, you got to send these people home, because it's late in the day, we got nothing to feed them, they're going to get upset, let's go ahead and disperse the crowd, tell them they can go home and eat, and then come back the next day. And Jesus is like, listen, stop telling me what you don't have, tell me what you do have. Well, We got five loaves of bread and two little fish. And Jesus said, great, give me that. That's what I will use. And then what did he do? He fed thousands of people. Jesus was at a wedding where the host ran out of wine. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. So I know some of you really would freak out. Anyway, so Jesus' mom, his own mother, comes up to him and says, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? You know, we're out of wine. The people are going to freak out. This is not going to be a party without the wine. And Jesus had to tell his own mother, Mom, don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. Well, we got some water. Water. And he says, great. I'll turn water into wine. Coastal, listen to me. Instead of telling God what you don't have over and over and over again, you just offer up to God what you do have. Even if in the moment it seems small to you, if it seems insignificant to you, and then you watch, you watch God use what you have to overcome that obstacle, to overcome that, that, that giant, that enemy, and be victorious in battle. Complete this sentence for me. I already kind of asked you to think about this, but I want you to actually write it down. My giant, my enemy, my obstacle is blank. And then write it down. Whatever it is, you know, you don't have to show your neighbor if you don't want to, it doesn't matter. But I want you to think about it, write it down. I asked you that question earlier, but right now, I want you to give it a name. You know, is it a relationship problem? Is it a health issue, a financial problem, a sin problem? What is it that's creating fear in your life? What is it that's creating, uh, keeping you up at night, late at night? What is it that's keeping you from achieving or pursuing God's best for you? What's depressing you? What's disappointing you? What's hurting your heart? Whatever it is, it might be multiple things. Write them down. Now, whatever you wrote down, Right underneath it, I want you to write this down. But my God is bigger. My God is bigger. In fact, I don't even have to know what you wrote down on the enemy line, the obstacle line, the giant line. I don't care. I don't, I don't have to know what that is. In fact, I don't even care how many you put on that line because you can add them all up. Add them all up together, and that second line is still always going to be true. My God is bigger. My God is bigger. God's bigger than any problem you have. God's bigger than any obstacle you're facing. Number four, 
Last one, we're done. Praise. Praise. Giant killers give credit where credit is due. They give credit where credit is due. I, you know, if you know anything about David, you know that he was a humble, willing servant of God. In fact, in verse 46, David told Goliath that he was going to conquer him, kill him, cut off his head, and feed his carcass to the animals so that the whole world would know that there was a God in Israel. What is he, what's, what's that? What is David saying? David is saying, listen, you know, look at God. Don't look at me. You know, it's not about me. Don't look what I am doing. He was saying, look at God. David wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to make himself famous. He was trying to elevate the name of God. He was trying to make, make God famous. You know, we see David's humility everywhere in his life. You see it here in this story in his choice of weapons, you know, a slingshot and five rocks. You also see it in the Psalms, by the way. You know, David is this great songwriter he wrote most of the Psalms. Think about this for a second. This is interesting. In all the songs that David wrote, never once did he mention killing Goliath. Not one time. I mean, I think that's humility. I mean, because if I was a songwriter, I'd be like, I killed Goliath, you know. I'd be singing about it. You'd be singing about it. I'd be rapping about it. I mean, we would all know, right? You know, if you were a songwriter, that's what we would do. But not David. It was like David didn't want the credit. It was all about making God famous. His reason for defeating this obstacle, this giant, wasn't just to make his life a little bit easier. He wanted to stand victorious so that people would ultimately give honor and glory to God. Now, you don't miss this because, you know, listen to this. This is important. Today, this is not some sort of, you know, self-help, psycho-babble sermon where you just, you know, knock down the enemies and the giants in your life so that you can live a better life for you, so that you can feel good about you. No, not at all. You're missing the whole point of this story. It is all about allowing the obstacles, the problems, the storms, you know, the, the giants of your life to become the very platform where the power of Almighty God is displayed so that you can bring glory and honor to Him so that He will use whatever that is in your life, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you think you can't overcome, so that He will use it to draw people to, your, to Himself. It's about Him. It's not about you. Listen, Goliath had everything in the world the world said that he needed to be a winner. He had size, he had skill, he had experience, he had the right equipment, but he didn't have one thing. He didn't have God. And if you are a believer, you have God on your side. And God wants you to live an abundant, full life. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to experience that life that Jesus said he came to bring. Here's the reality, guys. We already know the outcome of the war, okay? We, we might, you know, face a few battles along the way and, and get nicked up here and there and have a little skirmishes in, 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 in the battles, but we win. We're on the winning team. You know, Jesus has been resurrected. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated the power of Satan. Listen, sure, defeating giants is a messy thing. You know, battles are a messy, a messy thing. 
but you don't defeat a giant. You don't overcome an obstacle without a fight. But don't let that scare you. There's never going to be victory. There's never going to be the sense that you have overcome if you're not in a battle. The only way you can be in the battle is you put on the full armor of God and you show up. And that's what David did. Now here's the problem though in the Christian life today. We got so many Christians who never run to the battle. You know, they're, they're spiritually AWOL. You know, think about this. This is so funny. The, for 40 days, the Israelite army lined up and they shouted their battle cry. Now, we don't really know exactly what their battle cry was. You know, maybe God save us or, you know, we're the armies of Israel, you know. We, we, don't, we don't know what it was. But it does say in verse 20 that David uh, reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions shouting the war cry. How pathetic is that? I mean, for 40 days, they lined up and they just shouted in fear. Now, think about that. They're, they're hiding behind rocks and they're shouting whatever the war cry is. Goliath is down in the, in, in the valley, down in the center, waiting to fight. And he's going, hey, I'm right here. Shut your trap and get down here and let's fight. You know, what, what are you waiting on? You know, please send somebody to fight me. And the Bible says that they got terrified and they turned and they ran. Here's my point. I, I, I just happen to believe that there are a lot of Christians today, a lot of churches today who line up Sunday after Sunday, kind of like what we do right here, you know, in chairs, just line up Sunday after Sunday and they're shouting the battle cry. But then tomorrow morning they turn and retreat. And they won't face that obstacle. They won't face that battle. In fact, I'm afraid that what too many worship services today have become is people doing that, just lining up for battle, shouting, and then turning and running for fear. It's like a pep rally where there's no game. You know, we get here, we clap, we lift our hands, we sing our songs, we shout the battle cry, and then we say, see you next week. And we turn tail and run. All the while, listen, we win. We're on the winning team. What are you afraid of? And we never grow and we never fight. We never defeat any enemy in our life because we never show up for the battle. Listen, do not let the battle scare you. My Bible says that the very gates of hell can't withstand the advancement of the church. My Bible says that I can do everything through him who gives me strength. My Bible, this is Jesus. Jesus said, with man, sure, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's the heart of a giant killer. Let me ask you, is God on your side? He wants to be. But this is important. He can never be on your side until he's in your life. He's not going to be able to defeat all the obstacles, the worries, the giants in your life until you ask him and allow him to defeat the real enemy in your life. The real giant in all of our lives, it's sin. It is. You know, that's what, that's what ruins our hearts. That's what, you know, gets us off track. That's what separates us from God. And the consequences are terrible. 
But here's the good, good news. Don't you see? Jesus has already won that war over sin. Yours included. That is exactly what he did. That's exactly what he accomplished through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. And so now, if you will simply come to him by faith, that enemy, that giant, that obstacle in your life, it will be defeated. And ultimately, no matter what happens in this world, you will live in victory in this life, ready for this, and in the life to come. And another life is coming. And you can have that eternal life. You can walk out of here brand new, completely clean. Again, listen to me. This message today, it's not about just being a better you and defeating the enemies in your life. Listen, the ultimate enemy in all of our lives is sin. And, and it is the platform through which God is lifted up because he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated the grave. And you can be victorious too if you'll accept his son Jesus into your life by faith. And you can do that today, you can do it here, you can do it now. It'll, it'll fix the heart problem that we all have. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word and I thank you for the life of David, a man after your heart. God, I pray for us here today, all those that are here listening, those that are online, have been listening and watching. I pray that um, we would have a heart after you. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of battles that are being uh, faced here in this room, a lot of obstacles, a lot of giants, a lot of enemies. I pray for victory. I pray for faith. I pray for that confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, God, that no matter what we face, ultimately, we are still on the winning team. And that sin and death and Satan has already been defeated. And Father, I believe that there are people here today, either here right now or here watching, and they're ready to come home. They're ready not just to, you know, try to get you on their, on their side, but to to submit and to willingly, humbly ask you to come into their very life. And listen, you can do that here. You can do that now. Just open up your heart and pour it out to God humbly. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, I want to come home. I do believe. I do believe that Jesus really is your son. I do believe that he willingly came to this earth. He lived that perfect life so that he could be the one and only sacrifice for my sin. And that's what he did. He went to that cross. He took a beating, the likes of which I could hardly fathom. He was lifted up, suspended between heaven and earth, and he died on that cross for me. But Satan, sin, death, the grave, could not contain him 
and he won the war. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And I believe it today, God. As much as I know how, as much as I understand, it is a small step of faith, but God, I do believe. And I ask Jesus now to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. Adopt me into your forever family, God. And from this day forward, God, I commit to just live for you, to thank you for saving me, to thank you for giving me new life in Christ. I, God, today, from this day forward, I just want to become more and more like you now see me. Thank you, God. Thank you. Father, we love you and we pray all these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.